Uh, I wanted to thank you, Dr. Flanagan. Thank you, Dr. Manga. Thank you, uh, Dr. Thrasher, for the opportunity to present the take-home messages for kidney cancer. It was a very active meeting for kidney cancer this year. There were a total of 16 sessions. 258 abstracts were presented, with two of them being late-breaking. Uh, I'll focus on themes from the various sessions. Uh, I'll start out with epidemiology and evaluation and staging. Common themes amongst the abstracts presented during the meeting include histologic subtypes, the role of renal biopsy, risk stratification, and perioperative kidney function traits. So this was awarded the best poster for moderated poster session 28, and it looked at pre-nephrectomy trends in kidney function. Uh, just as we would with prostate cancer and PSA levels, we should look at trends in preoperative creatinine levels. A downtrend is more associated with uh, worse outcomes with regarding chronic kidney disease. Moving on, the group uh, from Memorial validated a study um, and a nomogram they that they had previously reported to estimate the risk of metastases long-term in patients undergoing uh, radical nephrectomy. Not only were they able to validate their initial study, but they were also able to introduce genomics uh, into the uh, nomogram. And they highlighted KDM5C as being independently associated with 12-year uh, metastatic-free survival. Moving forward, uh, localized surgical therapy. Common themes are practice patterns, role of lymph node dissection, risk-based surveillance, and the role of surgery in an aging population. Uh, the group from New York at Mount Sinai looked at practice patterns for open laparoscopic and robotic and radical uh, nephrectomy. They used the SPARCS database, which is a statewide New York database, to break down the state into different uh, health service areas. What they found was the utilization of minimally invasive surgery, namely robotic surgery for both radical and partial nephrectomy, is increasing, and patients need to travel less to uh, obtain these therapies, which tells us that the regional dissemination of robotic procedures is growing. This study from the Mayo Group looked at the prognostic evaluation of perinephric fat, renal sinus fat, and renal venous invasion for patients with pathologic stage T3A clear cell renal cell carcinoma. They looked at their numbers over the last 30 years, and what they found was that patients with sinus fat, perinephric fat, or isolated venous invasion behave similarly in the long term, but if there were a combination of two or three of those factors, patients did worse. Uh, moving on to the active surveillance category, common themes were quality improvement, shared decision making, and the surveillance of complex cystic masses. When most of us think of active surveillance for renal masses, we think of small renal masses, those PT1A lesions less than uh, four centimeters. However, the Fox Chase group uh, presented their data looking at observation of masses between four and seven centimeters. And in selected cohorts, this is a reasonable idea. Moving forward to ablative therapy, uh, percutaneous approaches were discussed, robotic-assisted approaches were discussed, as well as microwave ablation. And I just wanted to highlight the group in Wisconsin who presented their experience with perioperative outcomes for patients with PT1B uh, tumor uh, masses treated with either microwave, partial, or radical nephrectomy. And in comorbid patients who refuse surgery or surveillance, microwave ablation is a good idea. Uh, moving forward to advanced uh, drug therapy, common themes were risk stratification, management of brain mets, and appropriate selection of patients for clinical trials. 
Um, there were two trials that I'd like to highlight looking at metastatic lesions to the brain. In the past, patients who had metastatic lesions to the brain, we would not offer them cytoreductive nephrectomy. However, looking at the data, cytoreductive nephrectomy is a good idea in this population. The group in Syracuse, uh, led by Dr. Brodslavsky, looked at the SEER database. And what they found was that patients who underwent cytoreductive nephrectomy, who also had uh, isolated brain meds, their uh, survival was better. There was a significant uh, median increase in the median survival amongst these two groups. Another group that looked at, it, at this was the group in Oklahoma led by Dr. Cookson, and they looked at a different database. They looked at the National Cancer Database, and what they found was that there was an improvement in survival uh, in a similar population, those with metastatic uh, renal cell carcinoma with isolated meds to the brain. Cytoreductive nephrectomy does have a role in this population. Uh, this was actually an abstract, uh, well, a presentation, a podium that I thought was pretty interesting and fun. So kidney cancer is heterogeneous. They all behave differently, and we've all tried to think of ways to stratify patients and how to treat them. What they developed was a patient-derived xenograph model, uh, which would look at tumor heterogeneity and also test response to therapy, both targeted therapy and immunotherapy. And they did this literally using a chicken egg. So the Cori-Allentoic membrane is highly vascular, it has a limited immune system, so it's ideal for implanting tumors. What they're doing is after biopsying primary lesions and metastatic sites, they're implanting these, and then they're testing the response to therapy, again, both targeted and uh, immunotherapy to determine response. This just shows the progression of growth of an implant. They found that this model can screen for patient drug response, and it preserves tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes when used. Uh, looking at basic research and pathophysiology, these are some of the common themes that were presented. And late-breaking abstract, there was one. Uh, safety lead-in of a phase two trial looking at neoadjuvant radiation for patients with IVC thrombosis and renal cell carcinoma. And what they determined was, out of six, that it's safe, it's novel, and it may improve metastasis-free survival in some. A phase two study is ongoing. Thank you. Good evening. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Manga and the AUA for giving me this opportunity to present the take-home messages for transplantation. Urologists continue to play a critical role in the management of transplantation patients uh, and transplantation in general, both in the form of donor nephrectomy and, and sometimes uh, in the performance of uh, transplants, uh, both kidney and pancreas. Uh, the focus of this talk, however, will be to summarize um, highlights from the vantage point of the practicing urologists um, from the podium and poster sessions for transplantation this year. The first study is a uh, statewide population level um, assessment of donor nephrectomy performed between 1995 and 2015 uh, in New York State. And what we saw was that about nearly 7,000 uh, donor nephrectomies were performed. In that group, uh, urologists were the highest volume uh, um, uh, surgeons of performing donor nephrectomy, and urologists were more likely to perform these procedures uh, with a minimally invasive approach. Uh, Additionally, urologists had lower rates of readmission and lower length of stay when compared to general surgeons and transplant uh, surgeons. 
The second study that I wanted, set of studies that I wanted to highlight is from the Cleveland Clinic and was uh, presented by Dr. Crane. Um, in the first study, uh, readmission was uh, directly linked to uh, diabetic status in kidney transplant recipients. Uh, and this was both uh, true on univariate and multivariate analyses. And in the second study, which uh, led to Dr. Crane be, uh, receiving the best poster award, uh, the group showed that the implementation of a protocol uh, that included a standardized phone call and an early postoperative visit had decreased readmission rates by 15%. The next set of studies that I wanted to highlight are on kidney donation paired exchanges. And the first study is by uh, Dr. Baskin and colleagues from UCLA. And they looked at um, some general characteristics of uh, the KPD program. Since its inception in 2009, the program has more than doubled the number of um, uh, paired donations. Uh, and among patients who have paired donations, we see that the rate of preemptive transplantation is, is higher. And this correlates with a lower rate of graft failure and a lower rate of overall mortality. Second study by Brunner and colleagues is an interesting one, as it has found a creative way to increase the number of um, patients that are in a chain, such as the one described by Dr. Baskin. Um, identifying four uh, pairs of kidneys from the Philippines and Mexico, um, they were able to complete a uh, 31 total transplants. Um, this is a very exciting opportunity to address immunologic and socioeconomic disparities. However, this program is very much in its infancy and is uh, solely dependent on philanthropic donations. When we look at the deceased donor kidney um, literature um, and presentations this year, and there's this new concept of normothermic extracorporeal membrane exchange, um, which has been predominantly used in liver transplant literature. NECMO, as it's termed, um, is, is a, a unique way to preserve graft function in deceased donors and was associated with uh, lower rates of delayed graft function when compared to an ultra-rapid organ retrieval uh, protocol. These two studies by Kiel and colleagues in Saito um, demonstrate that we are redefining the ways in which uh, donors can be identified um, for transplantation. And these two studies are really at the extremes of age and in the case of the pediatric population, the extreme of size. Uh, and both studies showed that uh, kidney transplantation could be successfully performed with these graphs, uh, in increasing the availability of kidneys uh, for patients who need them. This year we saw robotics in transplantation again with two studies, one from Detroit and one from Turkey, highlighting uh, early results of robotic transplantation. The studies demonstrated that the wound infection and symptomatic lymphocytes were lower um, and pain control was better. However, there was no advantage in length of stay and there was no difference in overall survival and allograft function. Uh, these, although exciting in a, in a way in which urologists are becoming involved in transplantation, I think these findings also um, need to be viewed from the vantage point of cost, um, given that there was no major difference in some of the endpoints that were analyzed. The second study was uh, from Sweden, looked at uterus transplantation, 
and um, provided data on the seven successful transplants that have been done uh, with six uh, pregnancies. The interesting portion of this was that the uh, multidisciplinary team that performed this transplant included a reconstructive urologist who, uh, whose main focus and interest uh, in being part of this team was looking at gender reassignment. Again, we had discussion about GU malignancy in transplant. There were two studies uh, that looked at prostate cancer, one from the United Kingdom, showed that there were higher rates of prostate cancer uh, on, upon PSA screening than the general UK male population uh, when adjusted for age. Um, and a study from Japan showed that th those who were uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer that had had transplants uh, were deemed younger and had higher PSA densities. Um, these studies are important and highlight um, opportunity to maybe identify transplant recipients as an at-risk population that may benefit from something like PSA screening. Um, and last, uh, lastly, for the malignancy section, there was a study from Brazil that showed that the rates of uh, bladder adenocarcinoma was higher in patients who had had a bladder augmentation um, and a kidney transplantation. Um, again, highlighting the role that urologists can play in screening patients um, who have this kind of history. And lastly, I wanted to highlight the study from the Cleveland Clinic by um, Dr. Eltamami looking at renal autotransplantation, which is um, somewhat of a rare procedure but can be a very useful one in, in well-selected patients. Uh, Dr. Eltamami and his uh, colleagues were able to identify that having multiple arteries, so a, you know, a technical challenge in performing the transplant, or having a urinary stent, nephrostomy tube, and or a positive preoperative urinary tract infection uh, were associated with a higher risk of graft failure. Um, this observation is important. Um, because of the morbidity uh, associated with doing a procedure like this, especially if it has to involve a uh, transplant nephrectomy. And I think presents some really interesting uh, and exciting data for how we may be able to better select patients for autotransplantation and or manage them with antimicrobial uh, therapy prior to transplantation. Thank you.